Pulp-MX Network production. Pulp-MX fans, we're 550-plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp-MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at BTOsports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mackles Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. BTOsports.com, of course, proud sponsors of the BTO Sports KTN team with Short, Millsaps, and Brayton. When you're checking out at BTOsports.com, use the code PULPMX and you get a little bit of a discount. Anything you need for your biker body and things that are at the AIM Expo show will be at BTOsports.com and you can use the code to save yourself money. Fox Racing, the global innovation leader in motocross race. We're a Flex Air 2016 thing, stuff out now. Uh, Foxhead.com, Dungey Rocks, and just some of the guys that wear Fox. Visit your local authorized Fox dealer, or like I said, Foxhead.com. All right, people, this weekend, uh, this is uh, the 13th of October. This weekend in Orlando, uh, October 15th to 18th, the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando. It's the new motorcycle show, the one that's... Um, Basically, the only one out there now and uh, promoting all the products, all the latest, greatest things from all the OEMs, aftermarket companies, distributors, uh, you name it, they're at this AIM Expo, American International Motorcycle Expo, this weekend in Orlando. And uh, the good news is, unlike some of these other uh, Heidi Tidy uh, motorcycle shows over the years that were not open to public, uh, this one is. This one's a little different. There is a spot a couple days or a day that's open to the public. So I wanted to dive into this motorcycle show thing. I've been to Indy a bunch when I worked for Parts Unlimited and uh, FMF. I did that. And uh, Merge Racing, I did a little stint with those guys. And then also as a media guy. So I've been to Indy, never been to this AIM Expo. And there's not a better guy to talk to about this than uh, he is uh, the point man for the uh, AIM Expo this weekend in Orlando. Larry Little. What's up, Larry? How are you? Hey, Steve. What's going on, man? Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Hey, I love doing this stuff. It's fun. It's fun to talk about the show, and it's fun to talk to you and your listeners as well. Yeah, it's uh, people kind of get an idea, and one of the reasons we're doing this is because obviously uh, it, this show's open to dealers, and you know, OEMs are there, and like I said, pretty much every tons of companies in the motorcycle world are there. But it's also open to the public. So, first off, how does that all work? Well, I, it's probably easier to tell the story of why why it became that way. Sure. And if you've ever if you ever had the opportunity to go to Milan in November to the to the Grand ICMA Show as it's called mm-hmm. the EICMA the ICMA Show and it it is this all do all end all for motorsports in Europe mm-hmm. and I think I first went to that in about 1991 after I'd just become publisher of Cycle World and not only was I blown away just simply by the sheer scale of it but as you know as an industry guy I looked at that and I go wow. We, we, how come we don't have anything like that in the U.S.? Right. And as an, as an enthusiast, you just go crazy looking at all the new product because all the new products in one place at one time. So it was, so I came back from that show, you know, 25 years ago and, and met with a guy named Mike Webster, who's now 
kind of my partner in crime here at, mm-hmm. at AIM Expo, because he worked at that point for the other show company okay. that, produced in, that produced Indy, produced IMS, and produced all those shows. Right. So when I got back, I go, hey, we got to go to lunch. And Cincinnati so before that, right? Yeah, Cincinnati before Cincinnati, Indy, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. And it actually might have been Cincinnati at that point. So we went to lunch. I said, "This is we got to do this. And basically, the long and the short of it was that the market over here wasn't ready because you couldn't get the OEMs, the manufacturers, to break off of their you know individual dealer meetings that mm-hmm. they had forever and and come to one place at one time it just it wasn't in the cards the u.s market was so big they they felt individual meetings were better so mm-hmm. fast forward you know 25 years or 24 years and soon after the global financial crisis of 2008 all of a sudden everybody's budgets got whacked severely mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it seemed like a better idea so we decided that, that we did some research. I read this some research as a consultant for about a year after I left Cycle World and found that, you know, generally speaking, the old show in February in Indianapolis was now poor time for the market. You know, yeah, fifty years fifty years ago when it started, having a show six weeks before the market really started in the in the northern part of the country was a great idea. But nowadays, because dealers do a lot of their ordering ahead of time, the manufacturers introduce product in the fall. This, they introduce all year long, to be honest, but. A lot of the key product is introduced in the fall, and there's a lot more excitement about what's going on for the coming year in fall. So right now, everybody's looking to 2016, mm-hmm. whether it's product, whether it's race teams, you know, whatever it is. So people are looking at what's going to happen in 2016. So did you know? Did so? Did the research for about a year, and we mm-hmm. determined that absolutely the market was ready for this kind of a platform, as we call it, because it's really a platform because you do so many different things with it. As you say, we have the dealers in here for Thursday and Friday of this week mm-hmm. and the press as well. There's two days for trade and press. Then we open it up to the consumers because if you're a, if you're a consumer, why wouldn't you want to see all the new stuff just after it was announced? Yeah, yeah. And so throw the doors open to the public. They come in on Saturday and Sunday. And not only do we throw the doors open to the exhibition hall inside for all the exhibits, but the manufacturers actually have uh, demo ride setups outside so you can demo ride the new street bikes, you can demo ride the new ATVs and side by side. So I mean it's it's this, you know, cornucopia yeah. of all things moto here happening in Orlando. Yeah, it's a it's a fairly new show, but it's filled some needs. Uh, for one, yeah, like you said the timing of the indie show never really worked out. Like I've been there and we all used to say, "Why are we doing it now? We're in the of nothing against the fine folks of Indianapolis, but it's very cold in February there, which <laughs> I guess is good because you get people just staying indoors and and not you know, Orlando, there's lots of distractions, let's say. But, hey, whatever. I'd rather be in the sun. And then also, too, why not the public? This is a great idea. Like it's like you said, the final day, people can go in and check out all the latest great, ride the demo stuff. There's nothing for these companies and these OEMs like getting people, the people that actually lay out the money, excited to uh, to see the latest, greatest stuff. So good job, Larry, on all the uh, on all the changes for the AIM compared to the old shows. I think everything you've done has kind of addressed a need where – Back in Indianapolis, when I was sitting in February, we would discuss these kind of things. So yeah, well, you know, I, you know, as I as I said, I did a year's worth of research, and we really took a lot of input from all mm-hmm. parts of the marketplace, from the OEMs to the aftermarket distributors, and and the consumers as well, and the dealers to find out you know what they really want, and mm-hmm. what they wanted was a place that they could go at one place at one time to get all their business done. And so we say it's at one place at one time in the right place at the right time because. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would rather come to Orlando in October than you know anywhere up north in in the winter. Yeah, so, and the yeah, I mean, uh, first, first, 
the first year we had the show, I remember one exhibitor coming and telling me, he goes, you know what? I'm staying at the Hilton, and they got that uh, Lazy River thing outside. They says, you know, I never could go outside at Indianapolis at 11 o'clock at night with a cocktail in my hand and float the Lazy River. And yeah. I go, well, I, I, I think we got a hit on our hands. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, right? I mean, there, there was that whole thing, like people said, oh, it's, it's great because it's in Indianapolis. It's super cold. There's Nobody wants to go outside. Everyone wants to be in this indoors in this convention hall. And I don't know if I agree with that. You'd rather just have them in a good, happy state of mood, right? Happy mood. But, um, so you're, you're, did you conceive of this? Like you said, you took a year off, uh, you and your partner. And, like, why Orlando? There's a, there's plenty, like we said, obviously you want to stay away from some of the cold weather, but there's Vegas, there's L.A. Or How did Orlando come into it? Well, there was a number of, number of factors. And when we did the research, especially with exhibitors, you know, one of the things that was positive about Indianapolis is that it's a right-to-work state. And so you weren't forced to use the labor that they had uh, on the, sh- on the, at the convention center. Mm-hmm. And so you could actually, you could actually unload your own truck and bring your own stuff inside. If you want to, Yeah. Uh, you don't have, you're not forced to use some other labor and, you know, it limits when you start looking at the venues around the country, you have to go to a right to work state. Oh, like I guess Georgia's I never right thought of that. Work. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Florida is a right to work state. So, I mean, we actually had, we had, we had actually narrowed it down to, uh, looking at uh, Chicago and Georgia and, and mm-hmm. Atlanta and, and and Orlando and Chicago was very difficult. We thought we were going to be able to get some union concessions, but we did not. Mm-hmm. And plus, Chicago is a little iffy in the middle of October anyway, from a weather perspective, because mm-hmm. we need we need to have outdoor activities. So at the end of the day, what uh, sealed it for Orlando was the fact that you can fly nonstop here from 35 different countries. It's one of the cheaper venues in the country to fly for because it's the number one tourist destination in the country. And when a dealer does come down, he can bring his family and go do a couple of days of trade business, and then he can take his family to the theme park. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that play together. We're, we're not necessarily going to be here forever, but we knew we needed to be here for at least three years when we were getting up and running and creating some momentum. Right. And, and we've done that. We are committed for one more year for sure, here in Orlando, but we're looking for other places. But the thing that makes this venue the best that we've seen anywhere in the country is that not only is the exhibit area, in other words, the campus that's around the convention center with hotels here, with restaurants mm-hmm. right here, I mean, you literally walk to everything, but they have outdoor space that we, we build. We got Mike Kidd building two ATV, UTV, uh, not tracks, but they're, yeah. they're places you can take your do your experience as so as part of that whole demo ride concept of you know see the product inside go out the product out go to the product outside and actually give it a try it's a it's a we call a holistic experience you know there's nothing that's ever been done like this yeah. in the moto industry in in North America so we're we're creating a platform that can do all these things including you know when you think about you're bringing the industry to one place well what else can we bring here well the AMA Hall of Fame induction ceremony uh, came here for the first time last year and mm-hmm. did their induction here. It's, and now it's more of an Academy Award-style presentation in a theater as opposed to a banquet presentation, so mm-hmm. it's a little more exciting. They're back again this year. Moto America, of course, the new road racing uh, owners, or rights holders in this country, are doing their inaugural awards banquet here. Oh, cool. It's just a, it, yeah. You know, it's just it's one of these things that, you know, if 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 we had one wish and one wish only, there was that it wouldn't we wouldn't have done it on the same weekend as Monster Cup. And I'm sure you're going to ask that. That was my sure next. That was my next question, sure. Larry. What are you sure. doing? <laughs> so if you look in the in the world, 
the world view of what takes place because, as I said, we're, we kind of we took a model that mm-hmm. was after the ICMA show in right. Milan. That show that show happens during basically the first full week of November. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other show that's on the world market happens every other year, and it's in Cologne, uh, and that's always at basically it's on October first. It's the very last part of September, early October. So. Okay. When we did our research with exhibitors, they basically said, well, I need enough time between the guys that do international selling. Mm-hmm. I need enough time between the Cologne show and before the ICMA show. And the other thing is that, you know, some of us also go to the SEMA show, which is a week before the ICMA show. So yep. it's like we were kind of pushed into this middle of October time frame just by what the exhibitors were telling us made sense. And also the other thing is getting dates from the actual convention center. We actually hit a sweet spot with their dates, with what the exhibitors thought we wanted. And then... When we picked the date, we realized, of course, it was on top of Monster Cup. And I was like, darn it. Yeah. You know, because there's, we want to get the whole industry here. And, you know, we do have a number of the Moto guys that come here. I, I know they're all looking out to Las Vegas to find out what's going on. They, they'd like to be there. But the reality is the business uh, of the industry happens here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens on the racing scene in Vegas, no question about that. But the actual business happens here. In fact, I know that we're going to have a pretty key you know, moto uh, team uh, rider announcement here at the show on Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. One that everybody already knows, but nobody's talking about yeah. yet. But you yeah. know, that, that's actually going to happen. That's actually going to happen here at one of the OEM booths. So there's, you know, there. This is when you look at it. This is a place for business to business. Yeah. And on the, on the on the weekend, we do open it to consumers, which is a nice B to C component of it. But this is really a place for the industry to do business. And in, and- in the ideal in the ideal world. Maybe one day we'll have it in Vegas on Monster Cup weekend. You never know. Yeah. Never say never. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it, it, it is the same world, but it's two different worlds, the racing world um, and then the business world. Uh, they don't necessarily cross. So I get what you're saying for sure. But it would be nice. It would be, it would be oh, nice. It, yeah. it would be. Yeah. Believe me, you know, our, our, whole, our whole vision when we started this thing was to get the industry all together in one place at one time. Mm-hmm. Because... The reality is, is that, you know, at the beginning of the day, this is a trade show. So you want the dealers, the retailers to show up and get excited about the stuff that's coming for next year. So they get pumped and you order product and put it in their showroom. So that when the consumer comes in there, they got it to sell it to them. So, I mean, that's right. That's really, that's really what this is about. And also too, Larry, I'm pissed at you because um, you're dragging waste racer X does things at the aim show. And so Jason Wygant is going there again and so he doesn't come to the monster <laughs> cup but what that means for is i have to do more work because i got to cover well, Wygant's part so we have to get in line a long line of people that are probably pissed at me <laughs> <laughs> so because you're taking Wygant there i have to do more work at the monster cup this weekend here in vegas so yeah oh uh, um i'm sorry what um, uh how's the oem support do you have all of them are you are you close or what's how's that how's that support in the third year it's grown every year. Um, we were very blessed the first year to have Yamaha step up as the first one to commit, mm-hmm. and uh, soon after that we had Kawas- sorry we had uh, Suzuki mm-hmm. commit as well for the first year. Um, Kawasaki came on board the second year, uh, and Honda's come on board for this year. So we've got we've got the, the almost four Japanese. Yeah, almost got them all. You know, yeah. So in addition, we've got. Uh, some really key uh, stuff for the dealers. We have Bombardier Recre- Recreational Products (BRP), which does the the, the Can-Am three-wheeled on-road vehicles, mm-hmm. and they do you know ATVs and side by sides. We've got Arctic Cat as well. We got BMW that's in here for the first time. In fact, BMW is doing the full-blown 
uh, dealer meeting all this week. They've got all their dealers in town. They've got all their their parts, uh, garments, and accessories managers coming into town as mm-hmm. well. So they've got about 300 people in town. So on the OEM side, it continues to build every year. You know, there's a few left that, that we need to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we look, we believe that that will happen next year, especially now that we're a part of the MIC. And so, you know, that's grown. You know, first year we had 392 exhibitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, second year we had 500, and this year we've got over 560. Oh, so nice. It continues to grow. It continues to grow, and it's the single largest gathering of the industry of any kind uh, all year long in the industry with that many exhibitors. So it's 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 something that shouldn't be missed. You know, this is something that you can probably talk about pretty well because um, you worked for Cycle World, like you said, you're an ad guy in the 70s, right? Then you became a publisher in Cycle World, and I want to get into that a little bit later on. But uh, and now you're doing you work for Cycle World Forever, which is you know uh, selling ads, promoting motorcycling. Uh, now you're doing the same expo, and you've really seen the industry. Grow, 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 70s, 80s, crash, you know, uh, maybe, say, early 80s, come back. Uh, you mentioned a few years ago the, the downturn we had around 2007, 2008, 2009. I noticed that, too, as well, uh, being a freelance journalist guy. Now That's I'm now, Yeah, and now um, you're in a unique position where you were in the media side. Now you're doing the AIM Expo side. We're not back to the heydays, but it's the whole industry, racing, business, uh, units sold, products sold, aftermarket rider salaries on my end of things, covering racing, rider salaries, things like that, are coming back, aren't they? We're 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 in a good spot, a lot better spot compared to say seven eight years ago. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. How I look at it is that you know on the, on the macro level, from a from a, an enthusiast perspective, the one good thing about motorcycling when the 2008 global financial crisis hit was. That uh, unlike your guy who was in you know private aviation or had a boat down at that he down at the harbor or or, or towed there you know mm-hmm. unlike those guys who you know the amount of coin it took to to go pursue your passion at that level was pretty significant and those guys that those markets really suffered mm-hmm. you know motorcycling for the large part what happened in motorcycling is that new unit sales of motorcycles declined severely mm-hmm. and there was a couple couple of reasons for that but the, the reality was is that. Nobody was spending the money on new units, but the reality was at that time, uh, the MIC actually does uh, uh, tire units. Uh, they measure how many tires are sold. Is the easiest way to say it. Mm-hmm. And during that time after 2008, uh, new tire sales actually went up because people, because they weren't buying new bikes, yeah. they were still riding their old bikes, and now they needed to buy tires. So I think the core of our industry is that because it's enthusiasts, you know, it's it's always the passion is always going to be there. And you know what our what the job of the industry is is to is to give somebody a good enough reason to go out and buy that new helmet or that new motorcycle or that new jacket. That's what that's what our role is here. And so, you know, we have been you know slowly, I think, very deliberately, you know, growing a couple of percentage points a year in terms of the new unit sales. Mm-hmm. The I think I think they're up about five percent at this point uh, through this year, which is you know in the old days it wouldn't have been very much. Right. But, you know these right. days. When when flat was the new up, you know, being up five percent is actually pretty good. So, where I'm I'm personally very uh, confident that based on the fact that the OEMs seem to be putting money back into product development, there's yep. a lot of cool product coming out, and I hear there's even more going to be coming in a year. So there's a lot of really neat stuff in the works. That's what that's what really motivates you know an enthusiast to get out and continue mm-hmm. to do the passion that drives his activity. So. You know, it's that I'm really, really excited about that, and that kind of is where it comes back around to the show because we're the place that 
all these new products get introduced, and that is really exciting, both for if you're a member of the media, if you're a dealer, or if you're a consumer. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what makes AIM Expo the place to be. Is there, and without maybe pissing anybody off, is there one or two, three products that you are most stoked on that, that could be unveiled this year or that are unveiled and people are going to talk about them slash see them slash ride them for the first time at the AIM Expo? Uh, you, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I try and stay away okay. from finding out what those <laughs> products are because I talk too much on these kind of shows. And I really, <laughs> at some point, I slip up and go, yeah, there's a new whatever. And okay. I mean, I, I know a couple of things. I mean, that's how I know about the, the racer that's going to be right. announced. Of course, everybody knew about that. Nobody's just talked about it. But yeah. so, yeah. it, you know, it's, but yeah, I mean, I think there is going to be some really cool stuff here. I mean, I know of a couple of, very cool helmets. I know that uh, Bell has announced that they're they're going to unveil a new uh, street helmet at four o'clock on Thursday. I know that uh, Schubert has uh, has a new helmet that they're going to unveil that I think the Adventure crowd is going to be really happy with. So mm-hmm. you know, and there's just a lot of product here, including a lot of dirt product. And so I mean, from a from a moto perspective, there's still a lot of stuff here, even though it's it's all about all of motorcycling, not not just one one segment. So yeah, it's. it's 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 a good time, and you know, some people may think that you know, trade shows are passe because oh, you can get all your information on the internet anymore. And I, what I, all I tell people is that if you come here, you'll get it because once what if we do our job, what we do is create a dynamic face to face environment where people can do business that you couldn't do any other way. It's looking a guy in the eye and, and understanding that he's, he's either giving you the straight scoop or maybe you don't want to do business with that guy. But that's the reason that the trade shows continue to grow strong. And, you know, like every business right after 2007, 2008, they also get hit, but they're coming back nicely. And I, I think the point there is simply you can't replicate what happens in a very short microcosm of time, in our case, over four days, any other way. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you come, if you come here you get it completely and we see we see that in our post show surveys the the dealers that we that we've uh, surveyed the last couple of years we said you know do you plan on returning to Amexpo next year and 97% said they would mm-hmm. and 94% of the consumers said they'd be back this year so if you get somebody here they immediately get it and they know why they have to be here yeah i absolutely agree there's there's no that's a that's a little silly thinking to, to be there and to talk to a rep, uh, hold the product, touch it, ask all the questions you want. Um, and if you're a dealer, you know, inquire about the booking orders, uh, inquire about the availability, inquire about a warranty issue, anything. It's, it's invaluable. It's invaluable to be there. And I've been there for the trade shows. So I know what I'm talking about with that. And, you know, if I didn't yeah. have, you know, obviously I got this Pulp MX uh, side deal that I do, Pulp MX show, and sure. I would be there, um, you know, trying to uh, interest people in coming on Pulp MX, you know, and Racer sure. X would be there. And, yeah, you can't you can't beat the face-to-face interaction and the, um, you know, that kind of things that goes on at one of these things. So, um, or, I mean, imagine, imagine if you were a consumer and you got to actually talk to the manufacturer and their reps about, mm-hmm. you know, their jacket, their yeah. helmet, as opposed to, Hoping that the information filters, you know, down right. through the dealer. If you're in a dealership yeah. looking to buy stuff, I mean, it's like we had so many quotes in our surveys about. I actually got to talk to the manufacturer's <laughs> rep, and we forget because yeah. we're in the business what the value of that is. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 crazy. So, I mean, it's cool stuff. Uh, do you have Maxima going out? Do you, have- I, you know, 
Uh, don't stump me like this. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I was going to say. I don't, have my, I, don't have, I don't have my exhibitor. All right. Well, what, we, got, what, we, got, we got 560 games. <laughs> I should have done my homework. But what I was going to say was you can even meet Ron Lachine because he's at all these dealer shows hanging out. And um, you know what I mean? And so that's another positive. You can talk to the dogger. I, I, I'm, I'm sure Maximum will be there. Um, yeah. The uh, and or also too like say you had an issue with uh, um, you know boots or pants from some company or a helmet or whatever you can you can talk to the person and say hey this broke on a helmet what did you guys do to fix it or whatever like you said it's invaluable so yeah and I, and I mean when you end up talking to the people that are actually at the company yeah. usually what you find out is they actually want to know about that <laughs> yeah stuff exactly they want right? to make sure. They don't want their product breaking. They want to know how it happened, why it happened. They don't want to like berate you because something broke that you own. They yeah. want to know what happened. Yep. They want because they want to make it better. I mean, that, I've always seen that attitude here. Um, so it's something I read in the uh, in the notes. Malcolm Smith is the AIM Expo champion. What is that? And obviously, it's Malcolm Smith, so he's he's cool as shit. But what uh, talk about that a little bit? What is the deal behind that? Well, when we started, you know, because we were this new. American platform, kind of in the in in the universe of the of the international types of shows of these types, we wanted to we wanted to be American. We wanted to show our American roots. We wanted to show that there's a lot of Americans that have been large on the world stage, and, and it was a good association for us. So we simply created what's called the AIM Expo Champion. It's real simple. We just kind of honored an American champion that was pretty iconic on a world stage. And the first year was Kenny Roberts, and the second year was Kevin Schwantz, and I was like, you know what, we 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 really need to honor the dirt segment as, as much as we possibly can. And as soon as we heard that Malcolm was coming out with with his autobiography, I'm like, that's the guy, mm-hmm. absolutely, that's the guy. Because if you talk about one of the most iconic dirt guys that we have, you know, over the space of the last 50 years in, in this in this industry, it's Malcolm. Yeah, it's 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 easy. I mean, you could say Marty Smith, you could say Malcolm, but I mean, Malcolm continues to be. He's he's very approachable. He's he's always doing stuff. He's you, you always see stuff about him, and so we're really pleased when we could uh, we could host him down here as AIM Expo champion because the timing with his autobiography just made all the sense in the world. So actually, uh, dealers can actually buy his book. Uh, it's already on sale at through Tucker Rocky, and uh, it's going to be for sale to consumers down here as well. And I know that he's going to have a couple of times when he's actually going to be autographing the book. So nice. we're pleased as pleased as punch. That uh, that he could he could come down here, so very very happy to have him here. I cannot even imagine how busy you yourself will be over the next four or five days, six days. <laughs> well, you know me me personally, uh, I'll be honest. You know if uh, this is what I do, I mean I, I try to I try to really talk to people about the show and make them understand it at this point because all the work on on my end, which is really to work with. You know, to line up the AIM Expo champs, to mm-hmm. work with the OEM, to talk about, you know, what kind of product is going to get revealed, what are you going to do here, what kind of media can we get for you. I mean, all that stuff's pretty much done. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're, I'm very, very blessed to have an unbelievable operations team that, that makes this show. The, the first, t- first time people walked into the show, they couldn't believe it was a first-year effort because it was so buttoned up, it was so tight. And that's all kudos to a gal by the name of Cinnamon Kearns, who's our show director, who's got so much so much background and, and, and understanding of what makes a really good show come together. So it's kudos to her and the team that she's got that really puts it together. I mean, I, I, I wasn't a show guy, so you have to understand that I, I'm still learning about shows. <laughs> and I'll tell you what's the most impressive thing. You go to most trade shows, you know, A, it's pipe and drape. And, you know, kind of it looks okay, it's pipe yeah. and drape. But we did. We, we, we made a commitment. We wanted to look 
totally different. We're going to make it look a little, you know, European. So we have hard wall booths. These are all booths that we put up so you don't have any pipe and drape at all in the show. Mm-hmm. And it looks totally different. But the one thing she did, at the end of every aisle, there's always an electrical box because it, the electric has the power of the row somehow. Uh-huh. She built covers for the electrical boxes with our logo on it. Oh, I mean, it nice. was just like, yeah, yeah. it was just like the finishing one, touches are just so amazing. I yeah. One of those, those things you don't think about until you do think about it. And you're like, why didn't we always do that? <laughs> oh yeah. It, it, it's crazy. So, I mean, for me, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of running down, running around to do. I mean, I got to go to, to a Honda dinner tonight. Well, welcome people here, but it's that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that really, 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 I enjoy doing because, you know, they're coming here because they see some value in it. So it's just, it's, it's fun stuff. You know, and one of these years, We'll get you here. Uh, well, stop doing the monster. I mean, I live in Vegas, so the monster cup is very convenient for it. me. Um, I, I get, believe me. Um, well, and then I guess I mean, talk about next year. You'd probably be on the same weekend as them again, right? Because everything's set for them and and everything else, right? So. Yeah, I, I haven't been able to see what their dates are for next year, but yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be the same weekend. Our dates next year are the 13th through the 16th, and I'm sure it's probably the same weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, but rest. But rest, rest assured, we're looking out to 17. We're, we're continuing to look at other venues. So, the, uh, and, you know, as I say, yeah. Vegas could be a possibility. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, it would be cool. Yeah. One of the things, too, from being at the indie show, you talk about a right-to-work state. Um, yeah, the indie thing uh, was a little nuts with vacuuming carpet, uh, things like that. So I think that that's a huge concern you've addressed by being in, in Florida. So I know that that oh, was yeah. something that – Well. I- it, you know, we're we're just trying to make it as efficient and effective for our exhibitors as possible. Because yeah. if we get those guys onto the show floor, everything else happens. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. long as as long as we get the dealers to show up and the consumers to show up, and believe me, we spend we we have a pretty nice media budget to do all of that. And you know, we've been successful in that in every year that we've grown the dealer base as well as the consumer base, and it looks very. You know, from our pre-registration of dealers for this year, we're running about forty percent ahead of last year. Oh, nice! So clearly, that that audience is going to be up, and right. you know, ticket pre-sales are up as well for the consumer stuff. So it's it's happening, you know, and it'll continue to happen. And we knew that year three was the key year yep. that we had to have had to have things really happening at year three, and and we've showed good growth from year one to year two, and then mm-hmm. it looks like from year two year two to year three. So we're very blessed that, oh. that we've got a. An industry we all love to be in, yeah, and uh, a business that's a fun business. I'll tell you one quick story. Sure. Uh, uh, I did. I do. I did used to be on the board of directors of the MIC. Uh, now that I'm an MIC employee, that the that the show was sold to the MIC, I can't be. But I remember about 20 years ago, we had a board meeting somewhere. I think it was around the Long Beach show, and so we had a little meeting room in a hotel. And I remember walking, looking, you know, down the row of meeting rooms to see which one, you know, was said Motorcycle Industry Council and. The one right before I came to said American Pet Food Association. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, by the grace of God, I could be turning and walking into that room <laughs> instead of walking into the motorcycle. Yeah, really, so, right? You know, we're, we're pretty lucky to work in this business. And uh, I'm, I'm blessed that, you know, my daughter Ashley is now part of this business as well, you know, working yeah. for Tony, and, and, you know, and her man- husband Ben is working for JGR and, you know, we've got uh, Uncle Justin as, as, as yeah. uh, 
our new grandchild, we call him Uncle Justin, you know, that's his new baby. <laughs> yeah, so, really, right? It, it is true when you deal with these riders. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's pretty funny. He's pretty funny. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. I know your daughter well. I've known her for many years. Obviously, working with uh, with the next level down there, and then being uh, sure. at the races for MX Sports and Supercrosses and everything else. And then Ben, yeah, Ben, fellow mechanic. I did the mechanic thing for many years. So, um, yeah, yeah. The uh, actually, she runs. She she actually runs the media hub here at the show. Oh so, really? Yeah, oh wow. Very, very, she's okay. very very integral to the show. I just picked her up at the airport about two hours ago. So. Do you ever do you ever got to yell at her? Do you ever got to get mad at her? Or is she on it? Oh no! Okay. Oh no! She's she's uh, she. You know we have we have two kids. We have Ashley and we have a son, Sean. Well, Ashley was daddy's little girl, and right. my son Sean was mommy's boy. I mean, she's like me. She she's just like takes no shit. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. No. Let's she, go get it. Let's go get it done. She so, seems like she has fun. it together at the races more so than I do. So I'm always uh, asking her questions, right? Um, yeah. I think she does. Let's uh, let's take a commercial break here on the BTOsports.com Racer X podcast presented by uh, Fox Racing. Listen to this commercial from Race Tech Suspension. Use the code PULPAMX15 when you're checking out to save on suspension work. Chances are uh, you need some suspension work if you've been uh, riding any type of motorcycle for any length of time, and Race Tech would be a great guy to do it. We'll be right back here on the show with Larry Little. Hey, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Racetech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Racetech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you... And probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Racetech. I guarantee you, Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Racetech, Privateer Proven, they work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10% at uh, Racetech? Go to PulpMX2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right. Back to the show. And we're back on the BTOsports.com RacerX show. Uh, podcast show presented by Fox Racing, Larry Little. Larry, I want to get in the cycle world a little bit. So, sure. Uh, you started there. When did you start there? And you said you started as an ad guy. Like, what year were we talking? Well, I mean, if you want the whole the whole history, I actually started in 1978 at Cycle News. Okay. Oh, okay. And, cycle uh, News. Yeah. Went, went to, went, I was there for about 15 months left and went to work for what was then Peterson Publishing and Motorcyclist. Was there about two and a half years and then uh, 81 went to work. For Cycle World, okay. and, uh, became became the publisher there in '90, and uh, left there in 2010 as they were getting ready to sell the whole the whole uh, publishing it, company. Was it still Peterson then, or because Peterson is also dirt uh, no, rider? No. Okay, yeah. Peter, Peterson was uh, that was motorcyclist, and so okay. I left I left there and went to Cycle World. That was that was uh, when I went to work there. Gosh, it was CBS Publishing, but when I left there, it was owned by the French called Hachette. And uh, they were getting ready to divest all their media media properties mm-hmm. worldwide, and so they gave me a nice package and said, "We don't need your overhead." And I said, "Fine, I love it." So <laughs> I, I got a 
basically a year and a half to, to train for retirement, but yeah. I did some consulting along the way and got involved with uh, this project as it was, and that's how this came about. But uh, no, Cycle World was a really real, I was very fortunate to be there during a really great time because yeah. it wasn't it wasn't but about uh, eight or nine years after Joe Parker, the founding publisher, had sold it to CBS, and still he was really he was still on the scene. And Joe was just a tremendous guy, and and you know I got to know him very well as a dear friend. And uh, he ended up passing away in 2000, but the whole he still had an impact on the magazine, even though he wasn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just because he was the first guy to really bring you know participatory journalism. Into into the mainstream motorcycle magazines. Everything else had been had pretty much been stories about we're telling you you know what it's like. But this was a story we're just like you. You know we're going to go ride this bike mm-hmm. how you would. But Joe did a great job setting the table for the generations to come after him. And you know Mark Hoyer's doing that now. And uh, you know and it's, I'll tell you what uh, I don't envy you know Andy Leisner running the whole Bonnier group that includes Cycle World now because it's a much different business when I left it five years ago. It is, uh, isn't it? it there's there's it, there's a big thing. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's, you know obviously online presence, digital magazines, people are preferring those, some people are, and just the cost of printing a magazine now. It's a different world, man. Well I mean you're now a full service media company. It's it's mm-hmm. where where do you place it's where do you place the con you're really a content company and it's mm-hmm. where do you place the content. So yeah. it's but uh, you know, I, it was very good. It was a very good time for me. You know, we had a lot of great people that worked there over the years, and uh, I do miss that aspect of it a lot. I do miss the the ebb and the flow of the of the media of the media thing. But uh, I, but as far as AIM Expo goes, I'll tell you what. I tell people I've never worked harder but had more fun in my life because <laughs> I never really thought that I would get to do a startup, which is what this basically was. Yeah, yeah, and, for sure. In my in my career at this time of my career, so it's. It's it's been really good, and then I did mention you know, earlier on that the the show had been sold, and we started it with a company called Marketplace Events, which basically was a great incubator for for AIM Expo. They're they're the leading producer of home and garden shows in North America. Have forty home and garden shows. Okay. Very successful, very successful company. And Mike Webster, who I mentioned earlier, is kind of the co-creator of this with me, uh, had left. Uh, the other company that produced shows in this market and went to work for them about eight years ago and was really busy working on a home and garden shop, but they, they knew that he had a power sports background. Mm-hmm. Someday we would, we would look at power sports. And so that's when I started doing the, the research and in my consulting. And so it, it was uh it was a labor kind of love for us and marketplace backed it and we launched it. And it was, you know, it was, the show was actually never for sale. Uh, this mm-hmm. actually the way that the way that it came about was simply that we had been looking to the MIC for them to simply to endorse our show to get to get the trade association to endorse the show. Mm-hmm. And after doing the, the the work on that, after about you know eight or nine months, we realized the reality of it was was that you know the show should probably be part of the industry's trade association when all is said and done. So we actually approached the MIC and said if. If this was ever for sale, would you consider buying it? And they said absolutely. So then we went back to marketplace. Oh, okay. Said, hey, yeah, yeah. I think I think the show is going to go further, faster, with the resources from the industry's trade association. And uh, the CEO of Marketplace, really good guy, and he really has a good corporate culture at the company. He's very transparent, very uh, employee oriented. He said basically, if it's good for the staff, if it's good for the show, and if it's good for the industry, I'm on board. Oh, cool! So that yeah. started. That started. It took us about six months to actually put everything together, and we actually uh, officially on 
September 8th became uh, a part of the MIC. So we're looking forward to it. Is, it does not impact anything at all this yeah. year. So simply because, you know, when you're 30 days out from a show, there's really not much you can change. But yeah, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll look for ways next year that we can, you know, combine uh, efforts on communications, you know, working with the mainstream media to get a, a larger, uh, some larger eyeballs on power sports and mm-hmm. motorcycling. Uh, they have a great research arm. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do. And, you know, for me, it, it's, it's like, this is, this is like the last level of the one thing that will really take us to the next level because MIC has got tremendous resources. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of, a lot of synergies between a lot of the stuff we already did and that they were already doing. So yeah, I was going to say that opens up a lot of doors right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. By all means. So, um, one of the so, things, sorry, uh, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, one of the things about Cycle World uh, I want to ask you about, when, and you know, me being in the magazine world for a while now, you know, Racer X, we <laughs> Pingree took a, a Chinese dirt bike and raced it and wrote a story about how terrible it was, and and you know, there was some issues with that. People people were upset who made the bike. It was an epic story, and I'll never forget. It was great. Good job by Ping for doing that. But uh, I want to know in in your world at Cycle World and your years at Cycle World, like what was the what would you guys do to – what was the biggest fire you as a publisher had to put out? Was there something in the uh, mid-'80s or anything like that that, uh, you know, makes you laugh well, now? I remember two distinct things. One was just before I got there. Um, one was, I think, in 1980, and I came down there in 1981. But mm-hmm. I think I remember because I was at Motorcyclist, and I remember Cycle World taking the heat. And, right. and I will say one one thing that – yeah, I think a lot of the other magazines were by and large the same. But, you know, when I was at Cycle World, it was always, you know, there is journalistic integrity and it doesn't matter how many ads somebody bought yeah. because yeah. over the over the years there was a number of ad schedules lost. But I remember one year there was a bike that came out in 1980 and I remember one of the editors who probably didn't do the research he should have called it, oh, it's just a child of market research. Okay. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And that really wasn't received well because <laughs> the reality was it was a childhood market research was a positive thing, not yeah. a negative thing. Yeah. You know, it was the, the company OEM was asking out, out asking consumers what they wanted in a motorcycle. Yeah. So, but, but there was a time uh, when Yamaha brought out the uh, star line, their cruiser line, yep. a separate brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first bike was the Royal star and it had some, it had some challenges because I remember the, uh, the rev limiter kicked in at about 4,500 RPM, and it, it just couldn't. You had to have a little bit different mindset to understand that the guy that was going to ride this thing really wasn't going to probably be whipping around the yeah. past cars and those types. He's just going to putt down the road and took a little heat from that. Lost some advertising for I think for about a year on that. Oh yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it wasn't. It wasn't that they said anything wrong, uh-huh. or we, we said anything wrong. It's like a world. It was just more about. There's a great sensitivity to a brand new product being launched. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you know how that is. But, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, those things ebb and flow. They come and go. I mean, the reality is, is that at the end of the day, if the, the media doesn't end up having any credibility, they're not worth anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, if if you don't say what's true, you're not going to have anybody listening to you or, or reading reading you, and and then you wouldn't be able to sell anything against it. So I mean, it's it's really a balancing act. And yeah, it, well. You know, all, all the media, all the media that's still around is probably around for that very reason, and there's a lot of media that's not still around. Yeah, well, I can imagine like you're you're in a position position of say Davy Coombs, who who I've worked for for many years now, and 
I know he's had to put out some fires for things I've said or written, you know, and, and you're, he's getting those phone calls and then he's calling me and saying, hey, why'd you say this? And I'll explain it. And then he'd have to deal with the fire on his end. And I'll be like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 you know. I remember getting a, a call or two from him asking about that kind of stuff when he was first doing this. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he, and I, he and I have known each other forever. Sure, I remember when right? he first started doing this, I was like, I was cheering him on because I loved the fact that it was something fresh and new. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, no, it was awesome. What, uh, what about, uh, how much would you get out and, and ride and do the bike tests and stuff, things like that as a publisher? Would, would, would you, I mean, obviously you have an editor and you have, uh, you know, guys beneath that, but would you go out and do much of that? Or was it, was it just kind of a full-time thing running the magazine? I say it's largely a full-time thing running the magazine, but I am an enthusiast, so yeah. I would try to weasel my weasel my way on to things if I could at some point. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Just because I wanted to go ride. I mean, probably the most uh, famous thing I remember doing with those guys is there was a brand-new Goldwing that came out in, I'm guessing, uh, 2000 or 2000. I think it was mm-hmm. 2000. And so they were built in Marysville, Ohio, so the, the edit team had this bright idea that they were going to pick it up at the – factory in yeah. Marysville, Ohio, and they were going to put 10,000 miles on the bike in 10 days. Okay. So, so of course, the staff didn't wasn't that big, so now they were looking for volunteers, and so I said, all right, you know, what, what's the route? But we're going to the four corners. I go, so you're, and this is, uh, this was middle to, this is actually this time of year, it was middle okay. to late uh, October. Yeah. I said, well, I don't want to do anything that's in the north if I'm, right. if I'm a volunteer. So I said, I'll do, I'll do uh, I think it was El Paso to Houston. And okay, that's not seven, that's not that's not a thousand miles of straight line. So you had to make a route that was a thousand miles. So you had to do a uh, thousand miles in a day, and I yeah. did, ended up doing a thousand sixty miles in sixteen hours, average at sixty five miles an hour for the day. The bike was fantastic. And oh yeah, it was it was one of those things. You know, I got my Iron Butt Award and all that stuff, which right. I would never ever do otherwise. But you know, <laughs> I am an I am an enthusiast, and I, you know, I'm a dirt bike guy at heart. That's where I first. That's my first love, mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't been doing enough riding of that caliber in the last four years, putting this whole thing together because this has been a pretty nonstop endeavor mm-hmm. at Expo. But you know, uh, with an El Nino supposedly winter approaching this winter, the deserts should be epic. Yeah, that so, should. Be, yeah, you're right about that. The uh, for sure, and also too, cycle. Or cycle World too, like you guys covered dirt bikes, you covered street bikes, you covered, you know, uh, I think quads and things like it was a magazine where there was a lot going on. It wasn't uh, very specified like a Racer X or, you know what I mean? Things like that. So, yeah, I mean, that was always a hallmark of Cycle World. Yeah. It was the fact, it was, you know, it was really a magazine for the motorcycle enthusiast. You yep. know, if you, because our, our viewpoint was always, you know, if you're a motorcycle guy or gal, uh, you know, it's got two wheels. You're probably going to wonder what it's about. And as we used to say, it's like World's really about the 31 flavors of motorcycling. It was all all the different aspects and segments of the sport. And you know, it's still that way. It's still that way. AIM Expo Orlando, uh, October 15th, 18th, this weekend. The final day open to the um, the uh, final two days. Final two days, two open days. to the public, yep. so people got to check Saturday it out. Uh, 560 some vendors, you said, will be there. Yep. Um, yep. Full- and uh, online online tickets are uh, discounted compared to the door. It's 15 bucks at the door, which is still an unbelievable bargain. But it's 12 bucks if you go online. There's a even uh, I think there's an 11 dollar ticket if you're an AMA member. But uh, oh, perfect. Go to and the website is it's a i m e or sorry yes a i m e u s a Sorry, I, I'm, I should be reading this instead of doing it from memory. It's A I M E X E X P O. Expo USA. 
AimExpoUSA.com. So AimExpoUSA.com. Perfect. And, uh, it'll pull. It'll pull right up in a, in a search bar. So yeah, look for it. You know, we'd love to have you here. You're going to see a bunch of new product. Uh, it's it literally. If you haven't been here before, when you first step in the front door, it it takes your breath away because it's, <laughs> it's a pretty significantly sized exhibit hall. And I'm very proud of the fact that this is our industry, and uh, we're filling up the hall with our industry. And it's it, it couldn't be better. So you got to get your butt down here next year. Yeah, uh, I do. I do. It's it's all these things are fun. I would be there if it didn't have the Monster Cup, no doubt about it. But like you said, it, it works with it regardless. It's nicely timed with other shows. The world. Literally, the world's uh, motorcycle companies will be there, dealers all over the world and uh, and companies from all over the world. So I get that, and it, it should be excellent. I wish I was going. Um, thank you, Larry Little, for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, I feel sure. like I've learned a little bit more about it. AIM Expo sounds awesome. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast. Thanks, Larry. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. See ya. Take care, bud. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing. He's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The beast from the east, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stop 
that you could you sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years.